Ladies and gentlemen, Simon Hughes, uh, extremely well-known estate agent from South East London, who's recently sold his business to Dexter's for a multi-million pound deal. Um, thanks for joining me today, Simon. I want to spend the next half an hour or so talking about your story as an estate agent, the ups and the downs, the trials and the tribulations. So the boys and girls out there in estate agency and letting agency land and mortgage land can learn from your mistakes and learn from your successes. Is, is that okay? Absolutely. Good stuff. Well, again, thanks for coming up to Grantham from London. I know it's a bit of a trek for you guys <laughs> coming out of the old smoke. So let's roll the clock back. You were born in 1972. Um, Correct. Okay. So tell me a bit about your parents and your, and your childhood. <laughs> wasn't a question I was expecting to be asked, but yeah, very happy. Um, had a very lucky childhood to a certain extent. Um, very lucky enough to go to a private school. And what did your mum and dad do for a business? My dad s sold suspended ceilings uh -huh. and antico flooring. Oh right, so top and tail. <laughs> yeah, boy, good, good. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and to be fair, he invested. A lot of his money. He, he's a great believer. He, he was a northerner actually, so from he's a Welsh lad, moved over to Widnes, um, and he believed heavily in education. So he invested heavily in our education and put that at the forefront to, for us to grow up. Which was do you have any brothers and sisters? Um, I have a sister and had a brother. Yes. Okay. Okay. So what, what did uh, so you, your dad was hardworking and he invested. Yeah. What what. What did your mum give to you as a, in your childhood in terms of you know, skills and attributes? Actually, my uh, parents divorced when I was quite young. Okay. My mum went back to work and became a financial advisor. Okay. Quite a successful one. Um, and I, as a child, I saw what she did day in, day out. I liked numbers. She dealt with numbers and it was an obvious career for me to push myself into, which I did. So you went through your O-levels, or were you probably just GCSEs? GCSEs, year you two. You must have been the first year to do GCSEs. Year GCSE. two I was, yeah. yeah. Excellent. The toughest year. Um, did you say at the time that you wanted to be a mortgage arranger, or just you just saw your mum win the, uh, the, the numbers? No, I was actually working for NatWest Bank So you didn't do your A-levels, you went straight to NatWest? Straight to NatWest at 16. Okay. Um, went through the obvious uh, into the machine room, they used to call it, at, back in the day and then on to cashiering, foreign exchange. And I wanted to have an advisor role. I wanted to be a financial advisor. How old were you when you had that chance to go to an advisor role? Um, I pushed myself at about 18, I must have been 18 or 19. Um, and first of all, I went into lead generation, so they wouldn't put me through the exams. And actually, they, they still didn't, even, even as I got past 18, 19. So I left and went to Stunlife for Canada, had a whale of a time. Um, they put me through the qualifications. Um, Is this to it. be a mortgage arranger or a financial advisor? Yeah, financial advisor. Okay, it's quite a young age to be a financial advisor, isn't mm. it? Yeah. I mean, what was your motivation there? I mean, at that age, quite often, it's just money to buy fast cars and <laughs> other things that are fast. Um, believe it or not, whilst at school, I, I didn't understand what I was doing. I didn't see the point of so much of stuff that I learned at school. But as an adult, I suddenly went, hang on a minute, if I have these qualifications, I can earn more money and I can, I can forge a career, um, which is what I did. Um, and so I pushed myself greatly and I suddenly got this motivation at around 1920 to go and do the exams and push myself through and get myself fully qualified and then see where my career went. 
So you were probably this was probably around 1993, 1994. You were just qualified, 21, 22. Yeah. Living the life of Riley, having lots of fun. Yes, having lots of fun. I was in a commission-only role, so back in those days, you get your qualification and they put a phone book in front of you. I say picking up the phone, dialing through the numbers, picking a letter for the day, and phoning through and thinking you get hold of them and getting my leads that way. A lot of estate agents could learn a lot from that, couldn't they? Hugely. I, I think a lot of people are scared of the phone nowadays, if I'm brutally honest. Um, where it, a lot, it's very easy to send an email, isn't it? And you expect results to come back, but the best way is always picking up the phone. How did you learn to accept that rejection, which is a massive fear that most estate agents, especially valuers and listeners, <laughs> I'm used to rejection, Chris. Um, <laughs> look at me. Um, no, it's, it, it's part of the job. You pick up the phone, people say no. But but, how but, did you learn? Or did you just say well, it was just no from day one, so you kind of became the norm? Yeah. If you make 10 phone calls and you get one yes out of 10, you live off your successes, don't you? You get that one success, and then you've got to then convert that into, into a sale. Um, but that one makes up for the nine rejections. Why do you think estate agents are not very good at rejection? I mean, you've employed plenty of valuers over the years. Yeah. Most of them are atrocious at business generating, aren't they? I would say, Conrad, our valuers are very, very good. We are very lucky that, I say we, the company is very lucky to have, we, we call them partners, the guys that manage the offices ultimately, and they've been with me for 20 years, some of them. Okay. Um, but again, you've been in the business long enough to see others. Mm. Why do you think estate agents aren't very good at rejection? It's not a natural thing to be rejected, is it, I guess? No. I mean, you know, none of us like to be rejected, especially when we're in our teenage years and we ask that girl out <laughs> and she doesn't say yes. You know, that sort of... Yeah. Well, we've all been there, haven't yeah, we? But, well. but, it, but I just find it particularly that estate agents are not very good at it. How did you train and coach and develop your team not to fear, be fearful? You educate that it's a numbers game. Not everyone is going to warm to you. Not everyone is going to want to use your services. Not everyone has a need for your services. Um, you are going to get a lot of no's. But again, if you're, if you're making those 10 calls or doing 10 valuations and you're getting three that say yes, then... Is it the classic, the more no's you get, the closer you get to the yes? Is it that easy? I think so, yeah. I think it is. Okay. So, okay, let's move on. So, have you bought your house in the mid-90s by now? First house? Yes. Um, probably, yeah, probably around mid-90s. Mid, mid I was 21, 22. Okay. Enjoying life? Lots of money, bought a house. Whereabouts did you buy? I bought in Bromley. Oh, lovely. A two-bed flat in Bromley. I think it was about £50,000. And I interest rate... Alliance and Leicester, I did it with at the time, and I think it was around 7.5%. Not bad. In those times, yeah. Not bad at all. Yeah. So what happened in the 90s then? Were you still working for the Canada firm? Sorry. Yes, I went to Sun Life of, uh, from NatWest straight over to Sun Life of Canada. Um, I did about two years there, um, and I wanted to move on. I, I quite liked the idea of having some leads put in front of you and making it nice and easy. I wasn't scared of the phone. But also, I wanted those leads, and so I went to Countrywide, which I know so many people that have gone this route, they've gone to Countrywide, um, and 
it's a slightly different skill set. So whilst you've got the basic skills, slightly different skill set and a different sales Still page. as a financial advisor? Yeah, I went there as a financial advisor under Hambro Countrywide and just after my induction course, they stopped the financial side of it and it became a mortgage only. And I got the option of going to the mortgage side or ultimately I wouldn't be working to them because we couldn't sell financial products. So what year was this then when they... 1997. Okay, so... Um, this was your first introduction to a state agency. Who was the who was the regional director of, and which brand were you under with Hambro? Man and Co. Okay. Um, Ian Swatton. Okay. Was my line manager. Who and who was the resi boss of Man and Co? Do you, Mike Ansell. Okay. Rings very about. nice chap. What was a state agency like with Countrywide? I know you were on the mortgage department, but again, it's all one. It really is because you're part of a part of a branch team. Um, really enjoyable, I've got to say. I loved it. Um, it was lovely to have coming from my past, or from commission only, to having a basic salary, albeit quite a low basic salary, but with leads put in front of you, and it became just a machine. You're churning out first appointments, um, you know, and, and you're trying to get your ratio down. So you do five appointments, you get one sign up, and you build it down to sort of yeah, to three and one. Then you start the referral side of the business, which is something you're, you're good at from the Sun Africa Canada Commission only days. And it, referrals are so important. It's something that I think is quite overlooked these days because you're used to the business being put in front of you, but what you're not used to is nurturing existing business. Can you see why Countrywide were the force they were in the 90s in London? You know, they were feared, weren't they? Big time, big time. It was an absolute machine. They, they, got, it, they got it right. Um, and they just, they had a system in place, really. It was all, it's all systemized. You know, every part of the, the business had a system in place. Cause, it worked. Because, you know, you, you, you had four branches in, uh, in South East London. So, you know, you've recently sold in the last few months. Mm. Um, do you think Countrywide is, is the force they were? No way. No. Um, what would you put that down to? I think their brand got very diluted. There's so many different brands there. Um, with respect to them, it just, it didn't, the brand didn't look great. You've got more players in the field as well. Anyone can set up an estate agency. I mean, I proved it. I set up an estate agency in 1999. I didn't have a clue what I'm doing. And, and some of my people probably argue I still don't. But, you know, we, we set up and, and, you know, got off, you know, set up really easily and started trading. So what made you want to start your own estate agency in 99 then? Um, or was it just a vehicle to, so you could earn a lot more off your mortgages? Yeah, funny enough, and a very good friend of mine, Oliver Powell, um, who I didn't see for a couple of years before that, we bumped into each other in a pub, as you do, and he worked for a, a fellow estate agent. His aspirations were to open a business. My aspirations were also to open my own business, and I could run the mortgage side and the financial advising side. He could run the estate agency side, and one fed into the other. We're going back to the days here of endowment mortgages. Yes. And you know, if you remember them, Chris, and uh, yeah, everyone wants an endowment. And we could have an independent practice that can offer the endowments from Standard Life, Sun Life, all the different providers, we could offer it. And so it was a really easy vehicle to sell the mortgage and the protection at the back of it. Weren't you scared of starting your own agency, especially with someone that you hadn't seen for years? Yeah, of course you're scared, but also you're beautifully naive as well. In your mid-twenties, when we first started planning, I was 25. Because you weren't married at this time, were you? No, so no, not you're at still all. Still young, free and single, ready to mingle, house <laughs> in, Bron in, 
you know, backing them and yeah. enjoying life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had nothing to lose. And it's far easier when you can do it that way rather than when you've got children and you've got everything to lose. So how were the first few years then of running your own business then? I mean, you had your colleague who was running the estate agency side and you were doing the mortgages. Yeah. Um, it was enjoyable. It was hard work. It was a massive education. And looking back at it, the education was a key thing I got from it. So what did you learn during those? I mean, again, we're getting <coughs> the second wave we come to 2008 mm. when, the, when, the, when the market went belly up. Mm. But what were those years of, you know, the market was flying in 01, 02, 03, 04. What, what, you know, how did you ensure that you got more market share? Did you grow number of branches or what did you do? Yeah, we, we got to four branches within four years. So we grew really quickly. We didn't even have the profit there to open. Um, what we did have, we, we just, yeah, we, could we found out we could open a shop quite cheaply. We weren't buying freeholds, so we, we, were, the, we were the tenant. Um, and you could open a shop, put a few people in it. You could just, you know, just trade it out. And that's what we did. And ultimately, in the early days, financial services earned a lovely profit. We, we had issues making profit out of the estate agency. Um, in fact, we didn't really make profit until 2009, believe it or not, in the estate agency side. But because of all the business coming into financial services, we could bankroll opening more and more shops. What's the business coming in for? I mean, that's really weird because most estate agents are good at estate agency and rubbish at financial services. How could, how could you get really good at FS and not at resi sales? Was that because of your old leads from the past? Um, on financial services, yeah, well, I had some leads from the past. Um, but actually, the agents were very good at passing over. Um, and yeah, I, I was so other agents, signing up. So, we, so other agents in the town were giving you leads? No, 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 our own agents, sorry. Our, our own, own agents were giving us leads. Okay. What do you think in hindsight they could have done better to be more profitable on the estate agency with what you know now? Um, and remember, we're talking here 05 to 08. Mm. What do you think they could um, have done better? It purely comes down to marketing. Marketing, referrals, getting the brand right. There's so many agents, and we were included. Our brand just wasn't gelling together. We didn't invest into the brand. You know, you can invest into marketing. You can get your photos looking amazingly well. You can get lovely videos. You can do that. But as a business, you need to invest in your own brand as well. What does that actually mean, invest in your own brand? In, to, in today's age, spending the money, getting your, your actual physical branding right. What, your logo? Yeah, your logo. It's more than a logo. I mean, you're, you're building something bigger than just a logo. But yes, it is your logo as well, first and, you know, firstly. Um, also, you need to put yourself out there. So whether you be sponsoring local schools, stuff, stuff in the local community, being part of that local community, social media, um, which obviously you do very well, um, things like Google AdWords. And people are scared of Google AdWords because they get it so wrong. And we got it wrong in the beginning until we worked out a solution, which I know we'll probably talk about afterwards. But you know, you can get that wrong, and you can be throwing so much money down the drain if you don't get it right. Getting the optimizing your website. So I, I, I know loads of agents that have a beautiful-looking website, but they're not showing it off. So it's like having a shop with the shutters down the whole time, but then they're not investing in that website, so your local community can see it. Um, Things like that, I think, are so important uh, that are overlooked. And again, it comes down to most small agents are normally owned by a very, very good estate agent, great at getting property on, but quite often not great business owners. They work in the business, not on the business. And that's something I identified back in 2009. 2008, 2009 hit. 
plenty of estate agents have sat there and said it was squeaky bum time. Was it for you? It was horrendous. Um, in my personal life, I, my wife was pregnant, so child on the way, which is fantastic. We borrowed a lot of money to grow. Still not profitable in the estate agency side, but you know the brand was growing. We were getting better at what we did. Um, we had personal guarantees. We had loans left, right, and centre, and the market then went badly wrong. The bank came knocking the door saying, "We're going to pull your overdraft," and it was, "Oh Christ, what are we going to do?" Um, it did get to the stage that people were knocking on our door, and as business owners, we could have lost absolutely everything. We could have lost the entire business, could have lost our homes. It was tough. Were you just the equity partner in the business at this time, or was it your your business your colleague that came in with Two you? Two of us. Two of us were equity partners, um, and we're both in it together. Can you remember the, what was your lowest point? Can you remember your lowest point, the pair of you? I can actually. Um, it was probably the closest to tears since the child. We had these photocopiers that we signed a contract with, a contract with the copying company, and a contract with the lease company, all through the photocopier company. Um, and the copies turned out not to be fit for purpose. So we told them, and there was a, a free trial basis, but that didn't affect the lease company, and we were so naive, we didn't know the difference. We thought it was all with the photocopying company, so it went to court. Um, and they had an incredible barrister who absolutely annihilated us, to be honest. Um, and because it was under contract law, we lost. Um, cost us, I think, 50 grand, which back then, when you don't have it, is a lot of money. And we came out of court thinking we were going to go in winning because there's this contract that's, you know, the pre-trial contract. But actually, we lost on a technicality to a certain extent. And we came out just head in hands. And wow, what, what do we do now? How do we pay the staff? And, you know, it got to a stage that we were having to pay staff and credit cards and finding money to put into the business. And of course, as I said, I'm trying to build a family. And I had a choice of, well, do I find this money to keep Conran alive or do I put into my family now? It was, a, it was a really tough time. How did you get through it? Um, it was it was difficult. We had to cut costs. Um, I have an analytical brain, so I had to work out a way without making too many redundancies. I think we did make one or two, um, but that would have been it. But just looking at everything we had, and we, we made the, the biggest mistake actually was that we were spending money left, right, and centre. We didn't know who to, where it was going, we were signing contracts and just things that we thought were going to benefit the business. And at that point, you know, me and Ollie sat down and Ollie said, look, Ollie had a few other business interests. He said, I think you should run the business and I'm going to follow this path and it'll be good for you, it'll be good for me. You know, the, the business can't have both of us working in it um, because it's not affordable. We both need to earn a salary. So I'm, and he, it was very honourable. Um, so he stepped aside. Still kept shareholding, but stepped aside, um, and I then thought, what do I do here? I, I know nothing about a stage agency. I know a lot about financial services, but how difficult can it be? So I said, okay, I'll, I'll give it a go. Let's see what I can do. So first things first, I sat down with all the bank statements in front of me, created spreadsheets, and working out exactly what was being spent, and I just culled a load of expenditure. And it's what did still... you cull? God. Do you know what? It's, it's a long time ago, but there were just things we didn't need. Even if, you know, there was some, I mean, the, the finance agreements have gone by then because of what happened. Um, just, there was 
I'm trying to remember what we had, but there's just so many things. Lots of little things. Lots of lots of little things and and it, software and things like that, that we didn't actually okay. need. Because it it shocks me that an awful lot of people throw the baby out with the bathwater and get rid of their marketing in a tough market. I increased marketing. That's the one thing in those times that I increased. I identified that we we had this brand that actually was okay, kind of okay known in the area, but we weren't investing into the brand enough and we had to get our name out. So we we invested more, we did a lot of leaflet dropping. Um, we went through our database, we invested, you know, hitting the phones, hitting the old valuations. I actually learned how to be an estate agent to a certain extent. And I'll tell you what, I admire estate agents more than anything because I'm coming from a financial services world where Mr. Bloggs is sat down in front of you, it's you and Mr. Bloggs, you're signing him up, and then it goes to mortgage offer and, and everything else is taken care of. Estate agency, it's, it's so bitty. And the, and the skill of, of the estate agent is massive in, in comparison, I think. You said earlier on that you've got a lot of team members that have been with you. I think you called them partners. Yes, correct. Um, did, were they aware of the troubles that you were going through? Um, partly. Probably not as much as... They, they, they would have known more after the event, but at the time, as a business owner, I don't think you should be turning around to your staff explaining all the issues you've got. One of the key things I've, I did explain to him is, look, we have got some issues, and the key thing is that you've got to be better than the guy sat next to you, and the same with your negotiators, because if you're not, and we have to make redundancies, we're going to get rid, unfortunately, of the ones that are not performing. Um, and they all understood that. You know, they, they, they did stopped. they up their game? Yeah. I think they helped the game as well with as we started to improve things. As you know, we back in the day, we our photography wasn't great. It was okay. It wasn't great. We invested in new equipment and we kept it in house. Even you know, back in those days, um, and we got them trained. I invested a lot more into training actually. Um, and if you've got a well-trained team, you get better results. And that is what happened. And it was a bit slowly but surely. We got into profit in 2009, 2010. And then we carried on increasing the profit year after year. So you, you went to the coalface and became a fee earner. When did you realise that you couldn't be a fee earner forever and you've got to let your team actually do the work and you almost <laughs> work on the business, not in the business? Um, fairly quickly. I did a number of valuations. I, I, I sat on the desk of, um, I think it was Greenwich office I mainly sat in, um, and I just learned what they did. Um, and got a real feel for it. And from doing it, I could put procedures in place to actually help them out um, and ensure that we, we have a system, a sales system, um, which we did, made sure we had the right software, the CRM in place, and made sure it was, it was working for us. Um, and then I realized, actually, these guys know far better than I do how to do this job. So I've got a good idea now. I can, I can invest in their training and, and let them evolve. Before we move, we're now going into 10, 11, 12, 13, yes. 14, and the market's going well. Just while it's at the top of my head, what advice would you give to anyone? You know, we're at the end of 22 at the moment, going into 23. The market's holding up relatively well, is, yeah. but the map could change. What would you do differently, and what advice would you give to people if the market really does harden in 23? Let's start off. Okay, so what would you what what advice and what would you do differently? Um, 
understand your numbers, understand the numbers within the business from everything you, all your outgoings, all your income, understand what the value of a lead is. And so I've got a rhythmic acquisition of a client. Um, so for example, you know, let's say our average fee in London was £7,000. Now, for us to get a valuation, knowing that we'll convert, say, one in two, one in three, um, probably one in three, let's say, um, what, would I, what would I be willing to pay for that? Um, and then I'll then know to get that, let's say it's Google AdWords, and done correctly, you know, does it bother me paying £10, £20 a lead? No, it doesn't. Because actually, when you work the numbers all the way back, you know, and I, and I see the numbers that we were achieving on valuations purely from Google AdWords, done correctly, um, I, you know, I'd invest into that. And as I say, I keep saying done correctly. It has to be done correctly because there's so many people out there that say they do it well and they don't. And how did you learn to do it correctly? Just try and By error? making mistakes. Um, we employ, there's so many companies out there, the same with SEO, who will tell you they'll get you to the top of Google and, and that they're all experts. But actually, when you drill down to it, very, you know, there are a few who are very, very good, but there's a lot of people out there who are shysters, to be fair, and you're spending more money than you need to. Um, and it Have you got a few little top tips for the, mm. for the boys and girls that are actually still with us on this video? Give us some top tips on Google AdWords. Come on. <laughs> Just a few. Come on. Let's top give tips. Them, top tips. Give some value. So it surely comes down to the key the words that you're using and the messages yes. that are within the advert. Let's, let's, let's be straight yeah. there. So and <laughs> make sure it's, you're buying local leads. I mean, one of the big mistakes we made is that the company who were managing for us were buying leads all over the country. They knew we were a local estate agent, but we were getting leads in from Warrington and various different places. Okay. What a waste of money. So phrases like estate agents in Greenwich or Greenwich estate agents yeah. near me, that sort of Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And getting, getting your bank, you know, and in time you're bidding. So at, at the beginning, I mean, I look back to what we were paying, at one point we were paying sort of 25, 30 pounds a lead. And now I look at it and it's something like eight or nine pounds. And once you really refine it, and it takes time, but once you really refine it, your value of the leads come down and you'll get more leads. Okay, and this is something that someone can teach themselves by just trying to, what, trying different words, trying different adverts, and seeing what converts. Oh, that, that's got a few more clicks on it. Is it as if, easy as that? If you've got time, it's like going and doing your own accounts. If you've got time, you can, you can do your accounts and do a very good job of it. But aren't you better off if you're, if you're a, a, a small business like we were, and you are, as I said, if you, if you were a good valuer, aren't you better spending your time doing valuation? But you said to me that you're a numbers person and you wanted to get it right and there's lots of shysters out there. Yeah. So did you find someone that did work well for you? Yeah, I, I found actually, the, in the end, the person I found was in the Philippines um, who understood how it worked and they really refined it. So we had it all set up, but they refined it beautifully for us. And from that, the guys out in the Philippines, we. We, back in around 2016, we got him on board. Um, and now, or I say now, bef before I sold the business, there were five of them um, out in the Philippines that obviously sold their service to the business and were consultants to the business. And they, they became our creative department. And part of their role was to get Google AdWords right. And is Dexter still kept them on? And Yeah, they, they, they are fantastic at what they do. Um, yeah, the have, numbers speak for themselves. Have Dexter's rebranded you or kept the name of the firm? At the moment, they kept the name of the firm, and I believe that is that is what they're looking to do. 
yeah, Conlang's be, got a good local brand. They'll be prats if they if they don't. <laughs> okay, so 2016, I believe Oliver, your business partner, who was a silent partner, came back into the business. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, tell me a bit about that. Yeah, we we got really busy. Um, we set up a, a land and new homes department, which we're starting to get a few developments on. And I'm sure you're aware what it's like dealing with developers. It's it's hard work, but very rewarding. Um, and I realised that actually I needed more. I needed a skill set that I don't have to run that agency day in day out. Um, and Oliver is a seasoned estate agent, very good at what he did. Because um, he was the original partner, original. Yeah, so he ran the estate agency, and I ran the financial services. Um, and so this time he came back reporting as an area director straight to me. But was he still a shareholder at the time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, nothing ever changed on that. He kept his shares and. Yeah. How difficult is it that someone who is a shareholder reports to you? That must have been a challenging dynamic. You can have, it's an investment in the business, that's it. I mean, the mindset is that you have this investment in the business and then you've got a job role which is totally separate to your investment. You know, if I, if I bought shares in RBS, I'm, I'm just a shareholder. I'm not obviously aligning ourselves to a, a company the size of RBS, but you're a shareholder of that business. doesn't mean you've got a say in what happens in the running of that business. So... He came and almost did the day-to-day -day stuff. Did that allow you to take a step back and work the classic on the business, helicopter view, worked on the marketing and the strategy? Is that, is that what he was doing? That's exactly what it did. Do you think that made a huge difference in your business? I think Oliver coming back made a massive difference. I, I felt I got it to a level that was perfectly acceptable. It was a lovely, profit, profitable business, um, but we had more to give. And I knew that my skill set wouldn't have allowed us to grow because I couldn't. It's amazing the number of people I've seen sat there and also mm. on my travels in the, in the land of a state agency where if, if the, the person who has a skill set, which you obviously have, and there are others out mm. there with those skill sets, are allowed to take one step away from the coalface and yeah. work on the, the big picture, how yeah. fundamentally it can make a massive difference. Absolutely. It, yeah, and that, that's exactly what it did do. Did you not suffer from any guilt that you weren't on the front line yeah, I mean, I hadn't been on the front line for quite some time. I mean, the time of the front line in the state agency was only for a few months, really. Um, I felt guilty, actually. I, I've, I've had this log cabin in my garden built for probably about 10 years now. And generally speaking, I worked from the log cabin um, and I then used to go around the offices. I wasn't based in any office. I used to go around the offices. And it was every day. And then once Oliver came in and, and took over the day to day, it then became a few days a week I used to go around. There was actually no need for me to go around the offices. Um, it made no difference. How did you let go? Because that's really hard to let go. You just have to for the greater good. Okay. You understand that you're Yeah, but it's set. really hard though, isn't it? Yeah. The, but the basically, okay, he yeah. is a, a shareholder, but not in a normal way shareholders work. So let go of your baby into someone on a day-to-day -day basis. It must have been really hard for you. Well, it was still our baby. Don't forget, we set it up together in 1999. True. So even though he had a, let's call it a sabbatical for the eight years, eight, nine years, he came back um, and, and that was it. He, he was always the estate agent out of both of us. I, I gave it a good go and I, I, I tried to evolve it as much as I could. And I, I brought the brand together and I, I cut costs where I could. And, you know, I, I guess I was good in recessional times. But in times when you wanted a business to grow, I felt I probably wasn't the right person to grow that business. And Ollie coming back allowed us to do that. It shows a lot of self-awareness that you're aware of that. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, it was quite obvious though. Okay. So you got to 2022 and Dex has approached you. Were you looking to sell? I always say to anyone that asks me that every business is for sale. There's always a price for it. Um, I wasn't physically on the market. Um, we, oh, we did get approached by a few businesses um, and we generally didn't, didn't sit down with them. Um, what did you like about Dexter's? Because um, they do have a little bit of a reputation. Do they? Hmm. Um, I, not a bad reputation. No, no, no not at all. But um, no. almost, if you don't mind me saying, the, like Foxons in the old days. <laughs> yeah, but when Foxons were a real force, of, for, for, for a real force. Yeah, well, I, I admire Dexter's. I, I think they're a fantastic brand. Um, I actually didn't even realise they were, they bought businesses and kept the brand name of that business, if I'm honest with you. I, I know they bought another local business to us, um, but at that point I wasn't aware that was going to become a Dexter's or anything. But when their acquisition director approached me and they saw that we were a force in the local community, and, you know, we had offices in Greenwich, Lee, Cholton and Broccoli, and four really good offices. Sales and lettings. Sales and lettings. And they just saw an opportunity because they're not big in South East London. Yeah. And actually this gave me the opportunity to buy a leading business in South East London and then grow it. Oliver had only just come back into the business. How old's Oliver? As he keeps reminding me, he's a couple of years younger than me. So he's okay, 48. So, you, so you're, he's 48, mm. you're 50. Nearly. Nearly. <laughs> He'd only just come back into the business a couple of years ago. 2016. Six years ago. How did he feel about, did he want to sell? Um, I felt my time was up. Once I had that initial conversation with Dexter's and I felt, because you almost this, passed the line. This, this is still my baby and, and it's, it still is. I still, you know, I would do anything for this business. Even though I've got nothing to do with it anymore, I would do. Um, Ollie wants me to be happy. And I think we all ever said, if one of us ever wanted to sell or leave, we would make it work. You know, and do you think that's an important thing for anyone who is in business with with a with a business partner that you talk about it before it happens? Yes, you do. You are in a marriage, and in fact, you're in more than a marriage. I mean, me and Ollie have been married for 23 years, um, and you know, it, and so you've got to have agreements. And we don't we don't have a shareholders agreement, believe it or not. We never did. We went with trust, which is generally something that you should never do. You should always have a shareholders agreement. But me and Ollie, we are best friends. And, and we still are. And we decided not to do the shareholders agreement because actually we're both honourable. Um, we will do the right thing. And, you know, it, I love it's common sense. So, you'd already, you, so again, top tip for anyone out there in state and letting agency land is if you are going to business, talk about the scenarios. Yeah. Almost well, talk about the exit strategy. If you're setting a business, talk about the exit strategy at the same what time. What are your goals? What, what do you want out of the business? Okay. So you... So they offered you some money. The money's irrelevant. We're not here to talk about that. No, and I'm not allowed to either. No, <laughs> it was a good, it was a good sum of money though. Good <laughs> you. you exited the business. Is Ollie still in the business? Yes, absolutely. I mean, they bought 100% of shares in the business. Um, Ollie wasn't done. Ollie wanted to continue in the estate agency, um, and that's why when we were approached by Dexters, and once we were approached, I spoke to a few others. And actually, one other company did offer a bit more money for us. Um, this is back of a fag packet jobby. Yeah, yeah. Um, they hadn't done any due diligence or anything. Um, but when they're having a conversation with us, they seem to suggest that 
uh, this other company that they might look to close the office or two, and that didn't sit right with me. What did you like about the Dexter's op uh, proposition? I like the fact they wanted to continue the brand and run with it um, and evolve. We, we, the cultures seem very similar. Okay, they, they're, they're massive. They've got 1,200 staff, 120 offices compared to our, our four, so we're minnows. But we seem to be aligned you know, quite closely on, on a cultural basis. Okay, so they, they've... Um, when did the deal go through eventually? 19th of July 2022. My birthday. Oh. Okay. So you've, it's been almost six months. Yeah. I mean, there's, always, there's obviously going to be teething problems, but what's the feedback been from, from Ollie and the team? Uh, it's difficult because there's change. When, when you, everyone's used to reporting to me and to Ollie, and now as soon as a deal happens, they see this massive giant that's come in and bought your shares. So you're, people are going to be naturally wary of that big giant. Um, and and I, I know that was the case at the beginning. Um, everyone was a little bit scared. What's going to happen? They'd taken over another business, and a few things happened in that other business that didn't look good. But actually, there were, there were good reasons for it, mm -hmm. and I, I made sure I, I, I questioned that before our deal went through. Um, and yeah, so you know, you're, it can be dealing, you're dealing with a faceless organisation that's just bought you out. Um, but that, from what I understand, that's not the case. And Texas haven't come in and changed anything straight away. They've taken a good look at the business. Um, and of course, there are things they can change. And we didn't get everything right. Um, so they'll want to change some things. Um, but then there might be things we do that they go, oh, we like the way you do that. We might take that on board. So, so what's the future for you then? Future for me. Um, I still own Conrad Mortgages. I want to evolve the equity release side of that, um, which I think has great potential. But at the moment, with rates as they've gone, equity release rates went up to eight, eight, nine percent, and you can't justify taking an equity release on eight, nine percent when compound interest, you know, your, your mortgage will double every nine years compared to eighteen years to what the rates were before. So, you know, that will come back as rates do reduce. So, you know, we, that's just on the on the. Yeah, on the side at the moment. Um, I have started some consultancy work. Um, in fact, I've got one out in Marbella I'm uh, doing a bit of consultancy work with at the moment. Consulting on what? Consult consulting on their brand. Um, this is a state agent? Yeah, Walter. absolutely. It's a state agent. The chap is looking for exit routes, and I've got that experience now, especially um, if you're an estate agent and you own a few offices, most people would want an exit route. Um, and from the experience I've been through and understanding mm. what you need to put in place to actually have that exit route, it might be 20 years' time, it might be two years' time, I can help a consultant. You've talked the talk and walked it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you yes. know, we've, I've grown a brand over 23 years, um, and we've come out the other side. Okay. And, you know, and, and things like marketing and, and actually even things like wealth within. So as a business owner, okay. generally speaking, you open a business to grow something but actually there has to be some wealth in it for you as well mm. and one of the things i did was looking at things like pension for the owners you know a lot of business owners and I'm from my time and at the guild on national national advisory council at the guild i spoke to many agents and a lot of agents don't have pensions a lot of the owners don't have pensions and the, the same i heard all the time but my business is my pension and that is all well and good but actually why have you not? You've got such great opportunity to put your money into a proper pension. You can buy property, commercial property, from that pension. I mean, I grew a pension from zero to in six years, and I maxed out that pension by just 
being astute, understanding what the, what the pension laws were, and buying property within it. Um, now, I can't put anything more in there, and that's because I understand it, and things like that I can give to businesses on a consultancy basis. Just finally talk about your, your wife and family. Yeah. Um, how, old are, how old are your kids, and what, what, and what do they mean to you in your life? 10, 12, and 13. Okay. Um, everything I do is, is for the children now, absolutely everything. Um, I don't really have much of a social life that has gone because uh, everything is input into the kids um, and everything I'm building is, is really for their future. I, I think our kids, talking generally, have a tough future ahead of them, um, whether it be getting on the housing market. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at my own thinking, God, three kids. It's going to have to be the, the bank of mum and dad, the biggest lender in the land, that get them onto that housing ladder. Um, and so I've got to make sure that I can do that for them. And, you know, and the kids up and down land that parents must be so concerned that their kids are going to be 40, 45 years old, still living with mum and dad. Um, so, you know, we want to make sure they, they can actually evolve in their own lives. And your wife? My wife, she's a PE teacher um, for a local school. And yeah, how did you meet? How did we meet? Oh, God, that's, uh, I used to play hockey. Okay. And she was involved in the hockey club. There you so go. Eh? I, met, I met her there. Jolly hockey sticks. Absolutely. You? You're not wrong. Good stuff. So, 50 years old, mortgage arranger, got some great kids in their teenage years, wonderful wife. Um, I look forward to seeing you back in probably, I don't know, five years' time or something, just see where you're going. Thank you for your time and thank you for your insight today. No, thank and I you, hope Chris. you, boys and girls in the state and a letting agency land, have learned lots from Simon's story. Thank you for your time cool. today. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it.